the way the human mind works, we are closing windows. Like we're encountering so much, so much data and sensory information all the time that we're actually sorting out most of what we encounter. Like all the things that my peripheral vision is seeing, all the other sounds our very sophisticated brains are able to actually deselect a lot of that. And this, and when people, when people have various neurological problems of various sorts, that's a large part of what's happening is they're not able to deselect things, very sensory neurological problems. And there's a whole spectrum of that, as you probably know. And so the reality is that gift of the human mind uh, to do that uh, is the, the dark side of that is that if you, as the saying goes, you know, there's never a second chance to make a first impression. Right. And that's true with every message. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 182. I kind of feel like we should have a some kind of a quote or a sound clip from Blink-182 at this point, but um, I can't think of any that would be appropriate for this podcast. So I'm just going to say it again. Welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 182. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and thank you so much for listening. Before I get into uh, introducing this week's guest, uh, Dr. Jonathan Pennington, let me first just say that we're in the month of August. That means that September's coming up next, and that means our in-person training event in Colorado, September 17th and 18th, we're rapidly approaching that. So I do want to invite you to visit our webpage, expositorscollective.com, find out the information and get registered for the in-person training event. Uh, You know, the podcasts are great. I hope you learn from them, but it's nothing compared to like the immersive weekend experience of uh, hearing the teaching from the front, being able to participate in the Q&A sessions, but most significantly to be paired with a mentor and to be getting on the ground immediate feedback on your teaching and preaching. There's going to be an invitation at the end of this podcast from Nick Katie, but I just want to to say don't wait until the end. Uh, Check out our website, expositorscollective.com, and uh, hopefully you can travel and journey and make it to Colorado this September. If you can't, we're going to be doing a parallel online track. And I'm actually going to be hosting that. And so for those of us who are unable to travel to Colorado, uh, we can log into Zoom. And uh, I'd love to do all that I can to help you in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Okay, now on to this week's episode. Uh, I have just like this wonderful conversation with like the delightful uh, Jonathan Pennington. He is the Associate Professor of New Testament Interpretation at Southern Seminary, and he also is a spiritual formation pastor at Sojourn East in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, He is a clear-thinking, clear-speaking, true gentleman. In this conversation, we speak about how important the first minute of your sermon is, and also how important the conclusion or the last minute of your sermon, and and everything in between. This is the sort of episode that you want to get a pen out and be ready to take notes. Okay, that's enough from me. I'm going to get out of the way and introduce you to uh, Pastor Dr. Jonathan Pennington. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I am thrilled to be speaking with uh, Professor Jonathan Pennington. Uh, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thank you. Um, actually, so should I call you Pastor um, Pennington, or you? You were just saying that you've you kind of increased your 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 commitment to the church. Should that should that be refer, um, referenced in your title? Uh, Super Doctor Reverend is fine. <laughs> okay. I, I, People ask me that all the time. Jonathan is fine as well. I don't care at all. So, okay, okay, Jonathan. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Um, I, you know, the first question that we always ask, and I think it's a great way to kind of get to know even you and your story a little bit, is uh, could you introduce us to like the first time you ever like taught the Bible? When was your first sermon? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think I'm pretty sure it was uh, Isaiah 55. And it was probably, gosh, probably 25 years ago or so, maybe more. Okay. Okay. And uh, it was, uh, I was guest 
preaching or speaking at a little church that I eventually ended up being the associate pastor out pastor at a year or two later. Uh, the a guy who had mentored me uh, had since taken that church as the pastor, and he invited me to speak. And uh, it's on come all you who are weary. Uh, I mean, to come and buy and eat without money, without cost. Um, it was probably pretty heavily influenced by early John Piper because I was as a as a very young man. Thankfully, very influenced by that kind of vision from Piper of the yeah. desiring God. What I remember about it um, was I'm not. You know, I don't imagine it was some super profound sermon. What I remember is the encouragement that I got afterwards that really set the course of my life in so many ways uh, as a preacher that just some people said how much it meant to them. And, and you know, especially as a young man, I just I needed that encouragement. I needed uh, that kind word. And uh, and actually the same thing happened uh, be, probably the I didn't preach, but right after I became a Christian, I mean, like two or three months as at, at university, I went back to my home church as a PCUSA church, uh, very small elderly congregation. And they just asked me to like, I don't even know what I talked about. I mean, I talked for like five minutes, you know, not a sermon, yeah. just talked. And afterwards, somebody said to me, I still remember this, you know, 30 years later, somebody said, you are a really natural speaker. Okay. And I, I've not, never forgotten that. So I, what I remember about my first sermon is that God used some people to encourage me. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I, I actually read um, a, a tweet from Gavin Ortland. Uh, I think yesterday I actually screenshotted it and, and wanted to save it and uh, so that I could read it right now. <laughs> but he says, he says this, hang on as I pull it up. Um, he says that when I practice deliberate encouragement to others, it's amazing how often someone says, this came at exactly the right time, or I feel really, I really needed that today. I've concluded that people are walking around needing encouragement about 80% of the time. Uh, good to remember this. Absolutely. So, yeah. So what a, what a under, underutilized ministry of, of encouragement. Um, and yeah, if you try to do it on purpose, the person will say, I really needed it. And I guess most people, most people do, especially or particularly a young man after he preaches a sermon. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. But, but yeah. certainly not limited just to that, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as I talk about, I think in the book at some point, maybe I don't, uh, the, you know, whenever you're creating something and writing a sermon and speaking, those are creative acts. And whenever you create something, you are putting something inside of you outside of yourself. And that is a place of vulnerability. That's a place of fear. And what people need the most when you, when someone steps out and is vulnerable is they need people to receive it, you know, yeah. and, and encourage, especially a younger person. So yeah, I'm very thankful. Yeah. I don't know who, who said this one, but, uh, didn't someone say like, yeah, to, to preach, to really preach is to die naked, um, a little bit every time. And then when you finish it, you know that you have to do it again next Sunday. Right. Right. There, there is a, a degree of, yeah, self-revelation. You, you know, you, you give yourself if, if you're doing it right. So if you're, if you're really leaning into it, that it is a, a revelatory act, it, it's quite vulnerable. And if it's just a, a polite nod, or, or a handshake or an elbow bump and say, Oh yeah, thanks preacher. Um, yeah. So I, can I, can I talk to you about that? Like, that's like, I've, yeah, I, I certainly mentioned this in the introduction, um, to the podcast already, but, um, I really enjoyed, uh, your book from Lexham press, uh, small preaching and, uh, some of the early chapters that I really benefited from was the chapter on, on praise, on kind of receiving praise or receiving, um, uh, compliments from people. Uh, what do you think are some of the the right ways and the wrong ways for a preacher to receive uh, praise or compliments or encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. And I, I've, I kind of came to thinking about a lot of that through my uh, work in the Sermon on the Mount and I'm a new Testament guy. And so I do a lot of work in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount and particularly virtue. And that's actually kind of, kind of came to me because paying attention how um, that honor we need to give honor where honor is due. Mm -hmm. and the Bible says that clearly. And that's certainly part of the virtue tradition that some moments and some people and some events are worthy of more honor than others because there's, there's a goodness in the world and some things are better than others. Hmm. But we kind of short circuit that because in this otherwise good idea of Christian humility, 
you know, we want to make sure that God gets the glory, not us. Okay. That's great. But the problem is we've, I think, taken that so far, especially in our Christian kind of evangelical tradition, that we've lost a category for the good. And we've lost a category for actually what the Bible also says, that God will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Right? So in other words, there is a cycle of good begetting good and honorable things begetting honor. And that's not just from us to God. It's actually from God to us as well. And it's from humans to humans. And so the more you kind of think about the that idea, you recognize that we really struggle to handle praise. And a lot of times we defer it or we deflect it by saying, oh, no, 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 no. It's not me. It's not me. It's, it's God or whatever, which, okay, yeah, it is. <laughs> it all is from God. That's right. But that doesn't mean that good work wasn't done. I mean, it, there could have been good work and something worthy of giving thanks for. And in fact, when yeah. we deflect Thanksgiving, when we deflect praise, we actually fail to complete the cycle of the way God has made the universe. Right now, of course, you can be arrogant about it. Right. But that's my issue. That's not the other. I, I don't want it. We shouldn't dishonor the one who is thanking us by deflecting that Thanksgiving. Wow. Well, yeah, I, I, I spoke somewhere many, many years ago. And one of my, you know, former mentors, and I guess I guess to some degree still a mentor, a uh, guy by the name of David Guzik, he said, you know, Mike, that was that was good. And I mustered up all the humility that I could. And I said, well, you know, sola Dio Gloria, David, you know, I even did it in Latin, you know, (laughs) Uh, glory to God alone. And, and he kind of like, like firmly said, he's like, Mike, don't you ever do that again? Like that is like, he's like, I don't, I don't have to give you a compliment, but I chose to. And when, what you do is like, I, I'm not taking this personally, but like when like, you know, the nice old lady in your church says that what you're saying to her when you deflect like that, is that like what you said wasn't even worth your time. Um, and like, you need to honor the person who's taking time out of their schedule to honor you. And, um, so I haven't, I haven't said solo Dio Gloria, <laughs> um, in, in that sense ever since. Yeah. I'm, that is really a wise mentor. I'm really glad to hear that. That's great. Yeah. 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 And, and it was, it really it was surprising to me because I, I carefully chose my words to even come <laughs> off as holier. You know, it's like, well, if he liked my sermon, wait until he sees me deflect this praise. I'm, he's really going to be impressed. Uh, but he saw through that. Okay. So, so yeah, Jonathan, so what, what is a good way for, for a young preacher or a new preacher or even an experienced preacher hearing this and realizing, oh, I, I've been doing that for decades. Um, what's maybe a better way? Do you have other language or A, ways to think about it, but then even B, is there a way to articulate it to the members of our congregation who thank us? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, the thinking about it is certainly what I was just describing, you know, learning to say, it's okay. You know, this is a normal part of how God has made the world, that good begets good and honor begets honor. Um but what I would say, and I recommend some little phrases to kind of become part of your vocabulary in that chapter of the book. Um, I just say something like, thank you. I mean, that's the easiest thing to say, thank you. <laughs> but I'll often say something like, I really need encouragement too. And that really means a lot to me that you took the time to to give me that encouragement. So that's like the shortest version. Uh, sometimes, depending on the situation, the relationship, just my sense of the moment, I might say, that's, that's really great. Thank you. What, what was really meaningful about this for you or something? I mean, depending, you know, I wouldn't do it if there's a huge line of people, but if it's, it's somebody, or I might say something like, tell me how God encouraged you through this or something just to kind of actually help them articulate, especially if it's just kind of a generic, thank you, pastor. You know, it, sometimes it might be helpful to invite them into a space where they can actually kind of own what they received. Now, if I feel like they're just saying, thank you, pastor, and they don't really mean it, I'm not going to pursue it like busted. Oh yeah. What do you think? <laughs> you know, nothing <laughs> like that, but, uh, but, uh, you know, just trying to create a space for, for people to kind of articulate for themselves, um, what they learned from it. So, and, and, and then I could even see that very easily transitioning into an actual pastoral helping conversation, you know, when, when they could say, well, you know, when you said this about God's heart for the lonely, that really encouraged me because I'm going through a time of loneliness right now. And then that could take it into a far deeper and more hopefully beneficial conversation. That's exactly right. I mean, I spend a lot of time, uh, just meeting with people, 
you know, just sitting down with people just to hear their story. And, and one of the biggest questions I always ask people that's, that's kind of related to is, you know, if somebody shares something, I'll just ask, you know, what, what impact did that have on you when that happened? Like when your father died or what, or, you know, when your husband or wife did this or whatever, I'll just, you know, that's just a great question to ask people. What, what impact? And a lot of times people, nobody's ever asked them that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And secondly, they've never even asked themselves that a lot of times. Right. And that is a huge pastoral moment to just create a space for people and just minister grace to them. And so there's a, I just really affirm what you're saying. I think it could be a good moment. So, yeah. Yeah. And you're right. You do have to kind of, yeah, re read the room. And if, yeah. And if they didn't mean it in the first place, then, then right. you're probably not going to get deep into their, into their heart. But it's a potentially a way to turn, I guess, after church pleasantries into something that, that is more, more significant. Yeah, it's good. So those are some thoughts on, yeah, on receiving like compliments or receiving praise. Like what about, what about it's like ugly stepsister <laughs> of criticism? Um, what, what should a preacher do when we're criticized? Thank you. Say the same thing again. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the, the shortest answer might be, okay, thank you. Um, mm. I, I hear what you're saying and I'll consider what you've said or something like that. You know, I, I think of the Proverbs, the proverb, uh, you know, a harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath, you know, and, and it's just a good life principle, isn't it? Um, and then I, I talk about it in the book a little bit too, that, you know, I mean, I think you need to, find the way of wisdom, which yeah. is in between being destroyed by every negative comment, mm -hmm. right? Or on the other end of the spectrum or falling off the knife edge on the other side, just ignoring and saying, well, those people are stupid. They don't know what they're talking about, you know, whatever. Yeah. And the key is to sort of learn to say, okay, what can I own? Just like if you had a fight with your spouse or something, what can I own about this? Yeah. What can I learn? What are ways that I need to be self-defined and say, this is true. This is not true. You know? And I think it's the same way to kind of receive that without leading to despair. And it's hard. I mean, I, I struggle. I'm a, I'm a performer. I'm, I don't know if you like the Enneagram or whatever. I just think it's a helpful kind of tool to think about myself and others. I'm sure. a three, which means I, I find my identity by my performance. Right. And so the, you know, it's really hard to be criticized really hard. It just goes yeah. deep into my soul. And, uh, so uh, it's been a growth, long growth curve to say, I can, I want to own what I can. And also I don't have to be devastated. So it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Would you, would you mind maybe like telling us like, what's like some, let's, you know, we'll keep it, we'll keep it at preaching. <laughs> like what's, what's some like preaching criticism that you've gotten and how has that helped you to, to grow? Or what's, what's some pre preaching criticism that you've gotten that you actually carefully, thoughtfully, humbly considered it and then have decided that it's not valid criticism? Very specific question. So you could, you could answer, you can go as, as wide or as narrow as you like. I, I don't mind at all. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a funny answer. My, uh, I don't, I don't get a lot of criticism, but it's not because it's not criticism worthy. It's because I do kind of I'm in a situation where a lot of young preachers are not that I have a PhD. I've written a lot of books. I, you know, the, and so people, I don't think You're I kind come of across. Deal. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's not what I mean. That's not, sorry. That, that was horrible. That's not what I meant. What I mean is not people. I don't think I give off an intimidating vibe at all, but I think just people are probably less likely to come to me with the criticism just for, you know, position and whatever. Um, but, but, the person who is never hesitant to criticize me is my wife. Right. And in this, and so she, that's why I was laughing before. She is the one who it gives me the most honest feedback. In fact, the book is dedicated to her, uh, as I say in the beginning, because of the times I've listened to her, uh, on Saturday night when I've kind of run through my sermon with her and the times I've not make the big difference in whether the sermon was effective. So, um, uh. and you know, her criticism of me, has of my pre of my sermons um has transformed my te preaching a lot and yeah, for yeah. it's mostly that i said too many things and it wasn't personal enough and that that has been a great criticism a great 
critique, um, maybe better, and that I keep working towards. She still says it most Sundays <laughs> to me. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, and so it's actually the same. It's kind of the same answer to both of your questions because I've also come to realize that not everybody thinks that about my preaching. And in fact, most most people say the opposite, how much they've appreciated the depth and how vulnerable okay. I am. Yeah, uh, and yeah. she, so I've, I've kind of tried to listen to that critique from her yes. and also not be despairing about it because I think she's kind of on the high end of, she's really listening in a sermon for something that's going to really touch her heart. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And she doesn't, have as much of a felt need for a lot of instruction. Right. And she's also, she's been a Christian a long time, you know, knows fair amount about the Bible, right. Where a lot of people really thank me for the level of instruction that I've helped them in a very personal, accessible way. And she just doesn't value that as much. And so I have to kind of balance it in my mind. Like she's right. I'm going to keep being more personal, be, keep being more vulnerable, not say to- so many different things. And at the same time, recognize she's not, the 100% middle of the audience, you know, so that's, that's kind of the, so I'm very thankful for her and and the way she's pushed me in that way. And I also have to say, it's okay. I don't have to, you know, I, I, you can't please everybody all the time. So. Wow. Wow. Well, that's, that's, yeah. Thanks for letting us in on, on that. That, that, that's even some, some quick, quick thinking, thoughtfulness there on the spot too. I appreciate that. Um, um, I, yeah, it's probably also worth noting that, that she more than any other human, she knows you totally. personally. Totally. And so perhaps notices the, the, the lack of personal stuff in, in there. Whereas people who don't know you maybe see so much of your personality yeah, yeah. flowing through or you, or your personal moments. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, that. Thank you, thank you for that. Yeah, you're uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of tempted because we've talked about chapter one, we've talked about chapter two. I'm tempted to just go straight to chapter three, <laughs> and we could just just do kind of a director's cut audio commentary on right, on right, the whole right, thing. Right. Um, but but I I want to yeah, I'll be a little selective in some of the the chapters that we we talk about. Um, but on the topic of like yeah, criticism and, and praise, I I I read. I, I like the book so much that even after I finished, I just kept reading and I read into the acknowledgements at the end, <laughs> um, which which uh, I read the conclusion and then the acknowledgements. In the acknowledgements, um, you say this, I've never forgotten Dr. Bullmore pulling me aside after my first lab sermon and speaking life-giving words to me about my calling and my giftedness. So I was actually expecting you to say that um, when you talked earlier about your your first sermons, but maybe you're not counting a a lab sermon as as a sermon, or maybe chronologically it wasn't. Uh, Honestly, I don't know which of those was first. Now that you say that, I think I I guess I don't know which of those was first. Yeah, good question. That. But but on that on the note though of like kind of encouragement, like like what what about Dr. Bullmore? Uh, speaking those words to you has has stuck more than 25 years. I'm going to assume I'm um, you know closer to 30 years. Like yeah. what what has stuck with you, and how how has that encouragement made such an impact? Yeah, I don't think it's uh, complex, but it's still profound. And that is that you know we are we're all broken, and we know we're broken. Uh, the world has been sig- sending us signals from tri- ever since childhood that. Uh, we fail and we stumble and we have a lot of shame and we have a lot of fear. And, and if you don't recognize that we're motivated by a lot of shame and fear, it's just because you're protected against it. I mean, those are the first two negative emotions that come out of the fall, the shame and fear, and they're deeply baked into our DNA. And so uh, this is why, again, I think encouraging others, I love that, that Gavin Ortland quote you, you just gave us a moment ago. Uh, we deeply need, it's not good for, for the human to be alone. And that mm-hmm. includes mm-hmm. psychologically, uh, we, we need others to encourage us. And so again, especially in this very vulnerable thing of standing in front of somebody and speaking, and then even, you know, speaking for God himself, you know, which is yeah, always such yeah. a ridiculous kind of thing to think of that. I just, I'm very aware that we need encouragement. And so I'm just very thankful for the, for the people in my life that have, have spoken life to me. So that's how I'd answer that. Uh, well, that's that's great. So we, yeah, we we want to encourage like one of the the values, I suppose, of the Expositors Collective as the you know the training initiative, and then as the, the podcast is to k- kind of encourage people to seek out 
feedback and to, to have their actually funny enough, chapter three talks about a band of brothers, but we're not gonna talk about that. But you know, <laughs> we, we try to encourage people to, you know, and get like, learn to, to invite critical feedback on your sermons. How, however, I think if we're only looking for what's wrong, or even just how to improve and, you know, not not be so terrible, um, if we're lacking that life-giving affirmations. Uh, so hopefully it wouldn't be great if people after hearing this would would endeavor to encourage somebody, encourage a preacher, encourage uh, one of their their peers, uh, maybe go out of their way to listen to their sermon and find something nice, you know, because most people are, are preachers here, so they're not listening to their buddy's sermons. But go, go listen to your buddy's sermon, find something nice, send him a text, it'll make his day, I guarantee it. Maybe he'll remember it for 30, for 30 years. Uh, that is so good. I really like that. That's great advice. I, uh, yeah, I think we really do need that. And, and a very, again, very specific encouragement is better yeah. than generic, like good sermon, you know, yes. but like, I really liked when you made this move in the message, or I really liked that illustration because it really showed X, you know, that's a lot more meaningful than, than just, Hey, good job, bro. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I kind of batch these interviews. So I, I interviewed somebody, um, just, just before, before this one. And I listened to some of his sermons, uh, just because I think it's good to do due diligence. And, and I, at the end, I asked him how he's trying to improve. He said that he was trying to improve in, you know, just heralding Christ, uh, throughout the sermons more. And he, um, and I said, well, I, I listened to your most recent one in James chapter five, verse you know, 16 and 17. And I loved how you did. And then I, I, I wrote down in my notes, the sentence that he said that I thought was so good. And, uh, we kind of mm. had a moment yeah. because he was like, I thought, I felt like such a failure. And I, I was so embarrassed when you said that you listened to that sermon. Cause I thought that was the last, the worst sermon I preached in a long time. And I was like, no brother, like what you, you caused me to like worship at my desk as I heard that part. And so, yeah, specific, much better than saying, hey, dude, you're a good preacher. But it's like, no, when you said that sentence, you really just drew me into see, you know, the it's not so much about us going out and pursuing, you know, sinners who have strayed, but reminding me that Christ never strayed and Christ came and pursued me. Oh, you know, so so specific feedback is far better than just general platitudes. That's so great. And in fact, you saying that made me remember again, which wasn't far below the surface, exactly what Mike Bullmore said to me that day, 30 years ago. <laughs> I remember, right? <laughs> I, and now I remember it. I was preaching on, uh, uh, I think second Corinthians, uh, one, I think is where it was. And I remember him saying to me at this point in the message, something happened. Wow. That was wow. powerful. <laughs> so that's really good. Uh, that is great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got to be here in the room when you remembered it. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> well, in the, in the zoom or right. in the, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, okay. All right. So out of all these 25 chapters, I, I, I promised myself I wouldn't go through them all chronologically. Um, but you know, something that I, that, that really stuck out to me. And then I've, I know that it stuck out to other people as well is your, these other kind of twin chapters, uh, where you speak about the, the importance of the first minute of the sermon and the last minute of the sermon. I think like universally out of all the reviews that I found, that's what everyone says they liked the most. So um, thanks for those real, actual, like nitty gritty pieces of advice. Um, you know, let's say gun to the head, you had to make either the first minute good at the, for the sake of the last minute, or you had to make the last minute good for the sake of the first. How would you, how would you choose? Fortunately, there's no guns to any heads, so you don't have to choose. But like, what, what do you want to talk about first? <laughs> what do you and think there, is the most And important? there will be a first minute and a last minute, no matter what, right? So yes. Uh, yeah, but, I'd say first well, good, minute. Yeah. I'd say first minute. Yeah, because um, as I suggest in that chapter, the way the human mind works, we are closing windows. Like we're encountering so much, imp so much data and sensory information all the time that we're actually sorting out most of what we encounter. Like all the things that my peripheral vision is seeing, all the other sounds yeah. are very sophisticated brains are able to actually deselect a lot of that. And this is, and when people when people have various neurological problems of various mm. sorts, that's a large part of what's happening is they're not able to deselect things, very sensory neurological problems. And there's a whole spectrum of that, as you probably know. And so 
the reality is that gift of the human mind uh, to do that uh, is the the dark side of that is that if you that as the saying goes, you know, there's never a second chance to make a first impression. Right. And that's true with every message. Now, granted, if you're preaching in one place, and this is why preaching in one place for a long time is so good. Uh, one of the reasons if you're, you know, preaching the same place, like I'm a known entity at my church. I don't think people are sitting there going, Hmm, this first minute better be good. Right. Um, yes, but, yes. but it might be, I mean, not only they're visitors, but if they don't know me yet very well or something, but it, it's happening for all of us, you know, whether this is going to be relevant and significant and meaningful, that first minute really matters. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it's not a disaster, as I think I say in the chapter two. It's not like the Holy Spirit can't do, you know, maybe somebody starts paying attention halfway through. Okay, great. I mean, but I'm just talking from the perspective of crafting uh, to whatever degree we can affect the effectiveness of a sermon, or our human agency in it. I, I think that first minute's really, really crucial. Um, and and some of the things that I think we shouldn't do that I see a lot um, are, you know, physical activities that are unrelated to the message, um, you know, taking off your watch, I don't know, but taking a drink of water, do all those things for you on stage, you know, be ready. Mm. This is game time, you know, and, and also, you know, spending a long time thanking, especially if you're a guest somewhere. Oh, thank you. You know, you're so amazing. I, oh, I'm nothing, you know, I'm so glad you invited me. I, I'm not as good of a preacher as the, your regular guy. Yeah. What are you doing? You've just yeah. wasted time. You've wasted your minute. And it's probably false humility anyways, right? So this is just, this is just a bad idea. Don't do any of that. Stop that, right? <laughs> just get up there. So I walk on the stage. And one of the things, I think I say this in the chapter, one of the things is absolutely crucial that you wouldn't think of before you ever preach anywhere, go on stage before the service starts so you know exactly what it's going to look like. Right. Um, so I, I preach other places a decent amount as well. Last weekend I was in Texas and I've actually preached at this place I was at several times, but I, w I made sure I went up on stage, paid attention to where the lights were, paid attention to the height of the podium. There's all those things that you've got to do before you start preaching so that you can be in the moment. Uh, so I just walk on stage. I usually say good morning, uh, just, you know, as a kind of personal greeting. And then I just, boom, I just start talking and I, I find that very effective. So. Yeah, well, I, I highlighted this. You know, I love it. You say, you know, often guest preachers waste precious moments of time thanking and praising the host. We get it. We don't need it. Start <laughs> preaching. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's really, yeah, you, it's, it's, it's implied, you know, and of course you have a good relationship with the, with the church or else you wouldn't have been invited there in the first place. Right, right. So, yeah. So yeah, words of, of, uh, that's, that's, that's really, really, really great. I, I found that to be very good. It's really caused me even to, to think through, uh, my own, uh, what's taking place. I'm not a guest speaker at my church, but I'm preaching this Sunday and I'm thinking about, okay, well, there is something I was going to say, you know, we'll talk about this in a moment, but you know, it's Father's Day this coming Sunday. And I was thinking, well, you know, should I, should I say something acknowledging the fathers uh, in the room or saying something about Father's Day? But I thought, you know, actually, I bet somebody else can and should, and I'm going to just begin the sermon uh, upon my yeah. arrival. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. I mean, I don't think it'd be wrong. I mean, if it's integrated, if if you if it's significant, right, for what you're going to be talking about, or if there's a way you can seg from it, segue from it into the message, okay. But if it's like this separate kind of psychological space and the separate kind of moment, it's probably better to separate it. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily wrong. You know, it all it all kind of depends on how the whole message yeah. is going to go. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in the end of John 19. So it's like the spear going into the side of Christ and then, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus burying the body. So it's like, Hey guys, happy father's day. Look <laughs> under your seat. There's some root beer for you. Hey, okay. Anyway, now let's talk about the worst event that ever happened, which is, you know, like, so I'll, I'll leave that levity to somebody else. And for a Sunday like this, I don't want to dilute it. Uh, with with those opening, well, so that's the opening word. That's the the first minute, and this the last minute is also important. Um, you know, some some might say you know a mistake people can make with the last minute is that it doesn't come soon enough. 
Um, and that maybe is another, another discussion, but like, but when we finally get there, what, what are ways to kind of blow the last minute? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I said this in the, I think I might've said it in the chapter. I remember it was a few years ago that somebody preaching and it was like a, it was a professor who was older. So like, he, it's not like it's the first time he'd ever preach or something, yeah. you know? He just like said all this stuff. And then at the end he said, well, that's all I've got to say. <laughs> and they <laughs> sat down and I just thought, okay. I mean, not only were we not expecting it emotionally, you know, it was just, uh, we, you know, it just became very like, what are you supposed to do with this now? Like it didn't land the plane. You know, I just, I've always thought that was so funny to me. But, it's kind uh, of a Gumpian, uh, Forrest, yeah, yeah, exactly. Forrest Gumpian. Right. Yeah, there it is, right? It kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think I say in the book, don't fly around so long that you run out of gas and then and then crash the plane. Uh, in the sense that it should be crafted, it should be intentional, uh, it should, uh, yeah, land the plane make it practical. I, I may or may not have said this as well, but one of the things, and maybe this is just a pet peeve more than a, a true nugget of wisdom, but a closing prayer that is actually not praying to God, but is reiterating the, the three points of the sermon. I don't know. That always strikes me as like a double, double whammy because it's like, well, when we pray, I'm supposed to be talking to God and not so much to the other people per se. And then also sounds like probably you should have done that in the sermon rather than in the prayer. If you felt like you really needed to reiterate the final points, you know? So, um, yeah, those are my thoughts on that. Yeah. 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 It says, yeah, this is neither a good prayer nor good preaching. So yeah, we have time to conclude on our own. We don't need to yeah, muddle up the prayer right, and right. turn it into a, a recap of what's <laughs> Lord, been saying. Lord, help or, them remember that first. <laughs> you know, yeah. Or you, or, you, or you smuggle in that fourth point that you didn't have enough time for. So right. it, that it, is even it, worse. You're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you encourage people to, to write out their ending. So whether people are bringing in like a full manuscript or not, um, you would think it's a good idea to have the conclusion written out. That, that we're not winging the conclusion that that is planned in advance. Like the intro. Yeah. yeah those, okay. those parts need to be crafted, you know, now I'm, I preach for a manuscript overall, so I, everything's crafted, but yeah, as do I, but a lot of people don't. And the, we, we have a co co-preaching situation at mine and he doesn't, he takes up like a couple of pages of beefy notes, you know? Um, but which is, it works great. I mean, he's great. Uh, I am not quite there yet, but the, uh, but I think the ending, the conclusion really need to be well honed. Now there's something funny in, in our tradition at the sojourn churches. I don't know how it developed, but there was a tradition. There has been a tradition that we all still kind of follow where we, we do communion every week. Um, which I really like. Uh, and most of the sojourn preachers historically have not ended their sermon, but actually gone right into the communion. So like it's, I'd never seen it before. And I, I do it quite a bit now too, because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of a, where there's no, no break at the end of the sermon. And it's just, and, and as we, you know, you make this kind of yeah, hopefully the, a seamless transition. Yeah. yeah, right. I don't know where that came from or why or how many other churches do that. I do it out of habit probably 80 to 85% of the time. Sometimes I feel like I really want to like, boom, end the sermon and then say, let's pray. And so sometimes I do break that and I just have to remember to communicate that to the musicians because the musician before the service, right? Because the musicians have to come up and everything. But in that, so that's, I think the normal way. And I would recommend that this way that we do it at Sojourn for me, it's, I have to confess is a little different than what I said in the book because of that particular habit. I actually, I definitely write out the last part of the sermon for sure. You know, so I can land the plane, that transitory moment. I actually kind of ad lib that, which 
is I'm not recommending, especially to younger preachers. For me, it's kind of like a growing edge moment. Like I like to kind of be in the moment with that and say, okay, I've, I've definitely said what I want to say in the sermon. It's landed. I've manuscript it to the T. But I kind of like to just let the Spirit lead me in that transitory moment. Now, again, that's kind of a unique situation that we do that. I don't, I don't think a lot of churches probably do it that way where you go straight from the sermon into it. So, yeah. 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 In our own congregation, well, pre-COVID days, yeah, we would have yeah, communion every Sunday and kind of a, a second extended set of worship. So in my mind, communion is, is happening. Uh, but yet it takes place kind of during the the corporate singing and corporate worship. Right, right. And um, so I, I want to end in kind of a, a, a worshipful tone no matter what. Yeah. But yet there is a conclusion of of the sermon. Yeah, maybe it's more more rare. Yeah. Um, well, so you, you mentioned that uh, previously before we um, hit record, you are preaching this coming Sunday. So that's, that's coming up for you. And you are a, kind of a I was going to say an occasional preacher rather than every week, but yet you preached last week in Texas. So, so are you preaching how many Sundays a year do you think you, you preach? Yeah. So at my own church, um, it varies, but I'm preaching about a third of the time. Okay. Uh, so probably maybe even more than that maybe 20 times a year. And then I travel and speak and teach and preach other places. I don't know, probably eight to 10 weekends a year. Okay. So sometimes 12. Um, so I don't know. So, I'm so I, I happened to catch you on a week where you preached last week and then you're preaching again this week. Yeah. And then the awesome. next, okay. yeah. And then the next weekend I'm speaking at a conference, although not preaching. And then I'm preaching two weeks in a row after that. So it's, I don't even know. I don't even pay attention anymore, but I'm, the the lead pastor and I, it's been wonderful just to kind of, I think I mentioned him in the acknowledgements too, uh, just for him to have the humility to allow me to just play a larger and larger role in the mm-hmm. pulpit because the pulpit is really important, you know, and I mean, for the vision of the church as well. And so we don't, we don't have a super formal number, um, yeah. but it's probably about a third. And then, so I'm probably preaching 30 weeks a year now between here and elsewhere, maybe 25, maybe 25. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I've been doing it for a long time too. So it's, you know, I've been preached a few times, but I also am aware that I'm also a professor. It is way easier to be a professor than a preacher, <laughs> way easier. Um, and I, I'm very aware How of that. So I've never <laughs> been a professor, so I don't, I can't, <laughs> I can't nod in agreement. <laughs> why, why is it easier? Uh, especially after you've been a professor for a number of years, I've been 16 years already. So, you know, my, my lectures are always improving my knowledge, my book reading, it's always improving, but I'm teaching the same classes largely over and over. And even when I'm teaching a slightly different class, everything's building on everything else in new Testament and gospels where for a sermon, I mean, there's some degree that's true, but it's a new thing every Sunday that's the one reason that comes to mind. The other is, and I talk about this a little bit in there too, the preaching versus teaching chapter. Um, I don't know. I just put a lot more weight on the sermon than I do on the lecture. I mean, the lecture is really important. Like you can change somebody's life and whatever, but Sunday morning preaching is, I think the, the place where heaven kisses earth the most fully or it's the place where the the clouds depart and the glory is revealed in a way that is not exact. It's kind of partly cloudy on a lecture. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I, I just put a ton of weight on the preaching of the word on Sunday morning, the whole Sunday morning experience, not just the word, but word and sacrament, you know, many of the other things going on there too. Um, So yeah, for me, it's just, uh, I feel the weight of it more. Okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I, I, I feel the same thing, although I can't compare my 16 years of being a professor. So I, I doesn't, doesn't mean as much maybe when I, when I say it, but, um, you know, I, I pastor a local church, um, been doing this podcast for actually three years and I, I never mention it, you know, um, most, most people in the congregation don't, don't know. It's like my little secret hobby thing, you know? Um, and, uh, somebody in the church came across it and like, and listened to an episode and, uh, he came to the prayer meeting and was speaking to me afterwards just the day before yesterday. And he was like, Mike, I, I guess I got the impression that like 
you're really into preaching, huh? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm really into it. And he says, do you think, are you more into it than, than like other pastors or like regular pastors? And I said, well, I, I, I think I might be. Um, I, I do, I kind of fixate on it and I've got a whole, a whole shelf full of like, you know, homiletics books and, and like, it's, it's kind of my, my thing. And I know that God has gifted me in it, but I also want to like really diligently be constantly trying to, to improve in it. And I, care about other people being, being brought into it. Um, but yeah, but I, I, not, nothing against, you know, the other ministries of the church and even some other pastors have their own thing, you know, and God, God uses all of them, but like, man, like, I, yeah, the, the, like the baptism of Jesus, you know, it's like the, 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 the heavens schizo, the heavens tear open. And there is that, um, that revelation that takes place. And often that takes place, uh, under good preaching of his word. So I, I'd love to be able to contribute to that. And, yeah. you know, thank you so much for your contribution. You've, you've given us 25 um, ways <laughs> that, that people can do this better. And I, I, I really believe in it so much and want people to improve for the, the benefit of these poor congregations that are sitting under horrible preaching. Um, we want them to, yeah, to hear God's truth in the most accessible way possible. That's great. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the time and, um, would you, would you rather, would you rather talk to us about your like weekly rhythm or would you rather talk to us about a way that you're trying to currently improve? I think we have time for one, one more question. What do you think? Uh, either. Is there something that would be more beneficial to your hearers probably? I, I think, I think the, um, your weekly rhythm would be of interest. Yeah. With, especially with kind of not doing it every week, but doing it many weeks. I, I know that the hearers are not all, um, there's, there's a lot of bivocational preachers. And so I think that's even of, of value as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, so I, it varies a little bit, but the biggest thing is I try to be reading the text regularly and just kind of reading it several times a day, just at various times. And then I start, uh, just jotting down notes. And I, and I find um, writing things on paper can really enable the juices to flow in a way that's different than even, I also use Evernote quite a bit, you know, just like a you know note taking thing. But I love just writing and drawing circles and how this connects with this. And, and so I, I will basically just get a basic folder, you know, a manila folder. And as I'll just have pieces of paper that whenever I'm looking at the text or think of something like, Oh, that could be an illustration, you know, whatever, or how I'm going to outline this or whatever. And I'll just keep making pieces of paper and throwing them in there. And then, uh, I'll try depending on my schedule, uh, to have several blocks where I sit down and look through all those notes and start trying to forge a, the moves. A lot of times I'll just write, I'm just this morning, I was working on my sermon and I, you know, wrote near the top moves. So that is what are the, going to be the movements of the, of the message? So the intro, what am I think the intro is going to be? And then what are the, what are the kind of moves? Cause I'm, my, my sermons tend to be a very linear argument. Uh, I mean, I don't think people would say it sounds like an argument, but if you think about kind of, if I, if I ever get to do a smaller preaching and 25 more essays, one of yeah. them will be called linear and nonlinear preaching. And this actually came from a conversation I just had with the other uh, preaching pastor at my church. This is his language. Um, that is that sometimes you have a nonlinear sermon where it's like, you know, here are three things um, we can be thankful for. Boom, boom, boom. And they're kind of separate little sermonettes. Hmm. Right. And I think a lot of times that's a really effective way of preaching most of my sermons those will be nonlinear, so they're like, right, yeah, yeah remember, you know, get it. You kind of collate them. Yeah, that's right. As opposed to a linear, where the whole thing is a kind of building, or I, I usually think of it as a story. So it's like setting, rising tension to an apex of it, and then bring it home. And there's a an essay in there about that too. So I tend to think of my sermons as a linear kind of flow, right? And so that those figure out what those moves are is a really important kind of forging moment. And I do that several times. And once I feel like I have gotten it, it may not be set in stone. I may adjust it a little bit, but that's the really crucial moment where I thought, okay, now like a lot of building and beating my head against it. How am I going to craft this thing? Once I sort of say, okay, those are the moves. Then I start to fill them out and it'll probably adjust a little bit, but that's the, that's the moment I'm longing for that I hope happens before Friday or Saturday. You know, it just happened this morning where I thought, okay, that's it. I was really, cause I'm preaching a really difficult text, the end of Ecclesiastes three into four. And it's about, 
lamenting over the injustices of the world. It's like, happy Father's Day. You know, again, oh, it's yeah. it's not it's not real clear what to do with the message. So I finally got it, I think, this morning and was able to kind of line out my moves. So that's a big part of it. And then I try to by Friday, it doesn't always work because I do have a lot of other hats I wear in my life. I try to manuscript it all out. So I just type it, let it sit, come back to it. And then not recommending this to for young preachers, but no matter when I've gotten the sermon done, 5, 5 or 5.30 a.m. on Sunday, I get up again, I read it through and almost always shorten it and tighten it and try to make it more personal. So those, okay. so that again, not necessarily recommending that you do a final revision on, on early Sunday morning, but well, I was going to say, yeah, wh- wh- why not? Why shouldn't young people do that? That sounds like great advice. Like that, that's, that's what I do. I do that. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Okay. All but, right. Do that. Go do that then. Yeah. I don't know. It just sounds a little scary, but I kind of need the, I need the game time one hour till game time kind of yeah. energy. Something yeah. happens where I, I like, I can see it more clear. I'm like, okay, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. That's going to work. That's not going to work. I kind of need that refining fire moment. Yes. So maybe everybody does. I don't know, but I guess, <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, give, <laughs> figure give, it out. Give it a shot. So, but so that's not, so you, yeah, you're not, and you're not reading a new commentary at five 30 on Sunday morning. You're not looking up more, more facts. It's, it's, you've got your, let's say printed or, or, but it's just, you're just shortening. Yeah. 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 I should have said, yeah, I'm sorry. I missed that whole part of it. Yeah. Part of that while I'm just kind of thinking my own things, then I do take a block of time. I should have said that where I read some commentaries, read, um, increasingly I'm reading other preachers books. I didn't used to do this as much, but like somebody like Zach Eswine, especially in Ecclesiastes, which is like really a hard book for, to get your mind around. There are yes. some great preachers books on Ecclesiastes, Philip Riken, yeah. uh, Gibson. Is that somebody, uh, Have you read um, Tim Chaddix? No, I haven't. Yeah, that's a good, yeah. yeah. There's so many, Zach Eswine's is amazing. So those have increased, yeah. So I should have said, I do spend some blocks where I take notes on other people's stuff. Uh, yeah. And then, but then the crafting block, but at that point I'm not looking at, I'm not looking at anybody else's stuff. I just force myself to sit down there with my notes, sure. write it out. And then I do another couple of state runs through, including on Sunday morning early. So Yeah. Well, I, I think that that Sunday morning refining time can be, yeah, as, as so long as, the, yeah, the, the work is already done. Yeah. Um, but then, if, yeah, to those two things, you said, what, you you make Shorten it shorter it, and you make, make it, it more personal. personal. Yeah. Like, I think probably most most preachers, regardless of age, could could do that, yep. um, could do could go for that, to so have it a little bit shorter, a little bit more personal. Um, and yeah, that, I like that. Yeah, we said game time, you said, or the, the yeah, buzzer. Yeah, you know, like, okay, it's about to happen. I got to get on this, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's excellent. Yeah. Thank you for kind of, yeah, bringing us into your week and, uh, yeah, you've kind of given plenty of tips for others, but kind of seen how, how it works through, uh, in, in your own life. Uh, you, uh, something, yeah, from the most recent sermon of yours that, that I, that I listened to the, the one at the end of, uh, Titus. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I really appreciated how, um, like not only you kind of spoke about like the things that you saw in, in the world and in your life that you kind of saw evidence of God's goodness in. Uh, but you also like a- acknowledged that it was more than just you and your own experience of seeing God's goodness, but you are inviting people towards that goodness. But you, you kind of mentioned like, Hey, maybe you're like 11 years old and you don't even drive yet. There's, there's ways for you to participate in this. And you, you mentioned these different kind of like groups of people within the church and even kind of like named them bit by bit. Is that the sort of thing that comes 5.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, just thinking of the, the demographics of people who will be there? Sometimes earlier, but yeah. And again, uh, yeah. Well, and thanks for the very specific encouragement you gave me there. Um, but <laughs> I uh, know it's valuable to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. Come on, come on. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. No, um, <laughs> well, we're out of time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I could encourage wait, you more. Wait, but you we're... more. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we can go a little bit longer. Uh, no, the... Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I've learned to write those in earlier, but you're right. Sometimes that's the kind of moment like I realize, wait a minute, this is like I got like 4,000 words here and I these are all great thoughts and people will be thankful for the instruction. 
but I've got to make sure you're right. I mean, a lot of times I rewrite the ending on Sunday morning, honestly, because I, oh, yeah. I want to bring it really home to people. And I'm glad you caught that because I, I don't do that every Sunday because I think it could get a little pedantic if you did it every Sunday. But, hmm. you know, every few sermons, I will try three or four times. I'll say, you know, what does this mean if you are a wife who's stuck in a marriage where your husband doesn't care anymore? What does this message do for you? You know, and just to get really specific, because people are, I always remember, you know, people are coming to church um, in all kinds of states of mind and heart. And for some people, they have just prayed, God, if I don't hear from you today, I don't yeah. know if I can go on. Yeah. You know, that a lot of people pray that prayer, and understandably, or it just sort of really, they just feel apathetic and dead. And it's our job, it's our responsibility to put the labor into thinking specifically about how, what all your theological thoughts and whatever you've said from the text, how that actually, you want to help people see how it can actually speak into their lives. That's our job. It is not their job primarily. Mm. They need mm. to own it, they, but, but you, you and I need to labor at helping them see the connection that they will naturally necessarily see. Yeah. Which can be, uh, you know, considering, imagining those situations of someone saying, God, I need to hear, I need to hear from you today and realizing like, that's, that's our responsibility. That can be crippling, you know, um, that, that could cause me to just go through draft after draft, Oops, sorry. trying, to, yeah, well, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I'm saying one could just think through every demographic in my, in my congregation, you know, to the students from Singapore who are here, here's, you know, um, and, and really going through all of those, but yet also too, um, if we, we do the hard work of studying the text, bringing out what we believe is, is appropriate and then, you know, trusting it, trusting it to the Lord. I, I often pray, one of my Sunday morning prayers, you know, is to, I hold my manuscripts, you know, and just, you know, just speak about, you know, this is like, this is dry bones, um, a spirit, I need you to breathe on this. Or, you know, just kind of like think of um, Elijah putting up the altar. This is, this is an altar, you know, like I've, I've put these stones here and I've put the sacrifice, here's the wood, but I need your fire. And like, so there's things that we can contribute, but we're, of course, we're, we're looking for God to breathe his spirit or send his fire or whatever Pentecostal metaphor you yeah, want to use. Those are great. I'm going to use those. Those are really helpful. Thank you. That's really great. Yeah. Uh, well, Calvary Chapel, you know, so we're a little bit more Pentecostal. So okay. <laughs> we're, we're yeah, mildly, mildly charismatic. So, um, well, hey, well, thank you so very much. We actually, we actually have gone over, over, over time. Um, so I, I appreciate your sticking around to be encouraged with more specific feedback. <laughs> I save that for the end as a, as a lure to keep you for those few extra minutes. Uh, but yeah, but thank you. Thank you very much. I also do want to say that, um, yeah, Lexum Press has been very kind to us and they're doing, uh, for the month of August, um, people are able to get this book at a discounted rate. So you can follow the, the link in the show notes, um, lexumpress.com slash expositors. And uh, you can get small preaching um, at a reduced rate for the followers and listeners to this podcast. So. If, as if you needed more reasons to go buy it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Jonathan. I really appreciate your time. Total joy. Thank you. This has been really a delight. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you again to Dr. Pennington. I really enjoyed that conversation. And let me say this again to you, to the listener. His book, Small Preaching, which has so many more great thoughtful little nuggets is available for the month of august at a discounted rate all you have to do is go to lexumpress.com expositors and there's a special discount code for the listeners to the expositors collective podcast so this book is so good I want it to go into as many hands as possible it's helped me personally and if this interview has kind of alerted you or or wet your appetite well then go get the book at a discounted rate it's even cheaper than it is ordinarily all right so at this point i i do want to just pass it over to nick katie to give you your second invitation to colorado this september 17th and 18th 
This is Nick Cady inviting you to the Expositors Collective Training Weekend coming up on September 17th and 18th in Colorado Springs, Colorado. This will be our first in-person gathering since the pandemic, and we are so excited to get together again for this 24-hour immersive experience, which will help you grow in your private study and your public proclamation of God's Word. We also have an option this time for you to join us online if you aren't able to come in person. This event is open to men and women ages 18 through 34, who want to grow in their ability to preach and teach the Bible. We'll have everything from outlining help to sermon prep resources. We'll be learning in small groups with hands-on application and help from seasoned Bible teachers. You don't want to miss it. September 17th and 18th in Colorado Springs. More information and registration is available on our website, expositorscollective.com. Hope to see you there.